0: The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now here is our speaker. They're gonna go pack for uh, their trip. They're going on vacation this oh, week. This week? Yeah, they're leaving Thursday? Really? Mm-hmm. I think they're gonna go to Utah. They didn't no. turn Mormon, did they? No. <laughs> they're uh, gonna go to uh, Mount Zion National Park or something. I don't know. Huh? Who's doing that? My parents? Yeah. They're going to the kitchen. Oh, really? <clears throat> Alright, let's look to the Lord. And we'll look to His Word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We so thank You for the salvation that You have bestowed to us. Uh, we're so thankful for it, Father, for without You, we are hopeless and without hope. And so, Father, we thank You for Your intervention in our lives. And uh, we're really at Your mercy for... All good things. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. That from it, we can learn about where where we came from, who we are, and where we're going. And so, Father, we ask as we open your word today, that uh, we would read it with open eyes. That we could know more about our relationship with you. Amen. <clears throat> All right. We are in Titus, looking at positional truth. And uh, this, again, just to review, um, we're going back to... I'm not, not going to turn there, but the study is based out of 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, where Paul writes that he taught everywhere in all the churches about his ways, which are in Christ. And uh, so we've been reading through the New Testament letters and seeing that he talked a lot about being in Christ. And so we've been looking at explicit statements where Paul says, this is who you are in Christ. This is who you are in the Beloved, in Him, in the Lord, in Jesus, in Christ. All these different forms of saying a position at the God the Father's right hand where the Lord Jesus Christ is right now and where the Father counts all New Testament believers to be right now. It's not a uh, just a flippant way of saying uh, you're a Christian. It's actually looking at your status before God, your position, okay? So we've been looking at that, and, and what Paul communicates is that it's through that position, through setting our mind to it, it's through that that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the it's the part that we're in charge of. We are the ones that decide what we're thinking about. It's us. It's me. It's you. It's the Christian that decides whether they're going to wake up in the morning and have a bad attitude or a good attitude. So you get to decide that. And all you have to do is set your mind on the heavenlies, who you are in Christ, and the Holy Spirit will empower you to have the fruit of the Spirit, which are God-given attitudes. They're attitudes that are supernatural. It's the idea of love, to be self-sacrificial when... The normal human nature, the Josh version of the human nature is all about me. And every one of us could fill in your own name, right? But when you have your mind right and you're empowered by the spirit, we all have that same character of being self-sacrificial, given by God. That attitude. And now it's just a matter of seeing the opportunity to put it into practice. And that's where maturity happens. That's where the rubber meets the road but the empowerment comes first the ability to have the attitude to serve joy appreciating accepting god's the circumstances that you're in that god allowed right appreciating god's will in your circumstance that's joy it's supernatural and often as we know that the christian isn't born for a lot of glory in this life or you know on the human terms <clears throat> the uh, often this joy is in circumstances that are trying circumstances that are that are uh, seem unfair to you right but when you accept it as hey there's a god overall that knows about my circumstances and he knows what's best for me and i accept this and we have a good attitude and we go through it so, you can go through all the different parts of the fruit from the singular fruit from the spirit, and all these are divinely given attitudes that are, can be expressed when you're spiritual, when you're setting your mind on things above. So, we've been looking at those explicit statements, and we've been looking at the things that are implied that you'd have to rely on positional truth to carry out. Okay? So, when it says love, that's implying spiritual truth or positional truth because you can't utilize love unless you're filled by the Spirit. You can't be filled by the Spirit unless you're setting your mind on things above where you're in Christ. So that's, what, that's the, kind of the progression of, of this study. Um, so we're in Titus. We looked at this last time we were here. Um, and we're reading through and then looking at different ways things relate to positional truth. Um, I'm going to, I don't know exactly where we stopped, but I'm going to start in verse nine. In what chapter? Chapter one. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the ones contradicting. So here you have a juxtaposition of New Testament truth versus Old Testament truth. You've got to keep your Old Testament doctrine in line so that your New Testament doctrine stays healthy. And both are important. Both are important. You read in verse... And you, why? To exhort the ones that are contradicting themselves. If you look back... Uh, oh, we'll come back to it. Um, it's interesting. People that want to be legalizers over in Timothy says they don't even know what they're talking about. And it's true. They think they're, oh, we're, we're doing a good work. We're teaching thing, people about the Bible. And they're teaching the law. And they don't even realize that the law is written for the unrighteous. It's not written for the Christian. The law is for the, the unsaved. And the, just because people were of Israel didn't make them believers There were believers amongst Israel, but not all Israel were believers. But the law was for all Israel. right? And so people that try to live by law today, they don't understand that they're trying to live under the the wrong house rule. They're, They're trying to live under the wrong standards. And they end up contradicting themselves. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. That were the Jews. Right? Jewish, they were Jews and then there was Jewish Christians. Whose mouths must be stopped. Who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. See that? And why do they do it? For the sake of gain. They do it for the sake of gain. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Do you see that? So here you have a saying of a prophet of the, Cre- the Cretans. It's being put into scripture and it's said to be true. You everybody see that? That's kind of an interesting thing that happens here. You got a statement of an unsaved prophet being put into scripture and then declared as true. That's interesting. Right? So he says, "This is this witness is true. Wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. They may be healthy. The word sound is for healthy. But they may be healthy in the faith. Okay. No, the faith is that it's not just believing. It's that bigger doctrine. It's articular. The faith. It's looking at a larger group of doctrine that tells you who you are before God. tells you how to live before God. How to be spiritual. How to have victory with, in regard to your spiritual enemies. What's the normal Christian life? That's what the faith is. The normal Christian life. Verse 14. Not give and So well, I would say in verse 13 that that would be implying positional truth. You can't live... You can't be sound in the faith without practicing positional truth. All right, so this—it's right there. This is what Paul taught in every church. Not giving heed to Jewish fables. Okay, Jewish fables. Now the word fables in the Greek is moutheis. Okay. Now, we've. Uh, what's the definition of a myth? Anybody remember what the definition of a myth is? It's something that has... I, I'm going to throw out this. You'll probably say technically it's this or whatever. But um, in general, a myth is something that might have a little basis of truth and people talk about it to explain things th- from the past. And, and they, they do this. Now, I don't think... Um, the, the people that he's warning him against were saying, Hey, I'm telling you Jewish fables, everybody! We're doing Jewish fable time! Every come, everybody gather around, it's time for Jewish fables. It's the Jewish fable hour. <coughs> okay? I think this is Paul kind of ridiculing their teaching. Is ridicule an effective uh, way to point out something that's false? Absolutely absolutely it is okay now if you use that in reference to you know a lot of people overdo ridicule right they use it in the wrong place they uh, use it in a very mean way Um, but sometimes it's necessary to say how do you point out something's wrong without saying it's wrong right you have to say at some point what it is he's saying When people try to say you're supposed to live by law it's a fable it's a myth it's not true it's not fact it's not has no basis in reality so you know i have a little note here i put it into words so i don't have to remember how to say it every time so i'm gonna just read this a little note i have i have i have a i have a little Noting system in my Bible. This is note G. So please don't write note G in your Bible. Okay? It says, when applying Mosaic law to Gentiles or anyone today, it is no longer commandments of God. Okay? Did you get what I said there? It's a myth now, it's a fable. If you're trying to apply Mosaic law, To Gentiles today or to anybody if you try to apply it to a Jew today it's a myth has no basis in fact you're telling stories about Hercules you're telling stories okay you see what I'm saying you're making up a cartoon okay not giving to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from what? The truth. The truth. I believe this does go back to John 8 when Christ prophesied about the truth. The doctrine that would set you free from the sin nature. And they didn't have it at that time. When Christ said that, they were living under law. That was the way they lived. That was the manner of life for the household. But he says there will be a day coming when you'll be set free. Right? Set free from your sin nature. And yet, we're in that time. Paul is writing in that time to Titus, and he says there's still people looking back to the past. And they're trying to live by the ways of the past, and it's not factual. They're myths and when people do that it's turning people away from the way that will set you free from your sin nature see that and he goes on unto the pure all things are pure but unto them that are defiled and unfaithful is nothing pure but even their mind and conscience is defiled see they're not using their they're not using their mind for the thing that as a Christian you're supposed to use it for, which is what? Setting your mind on things above. They're using it for this imaginary baloney. Your mind is rotted. Uh, when, when you have gangrene, and you know, does anybody look at that and go, Man, that's healthy? You know, you're looking down at your hand, you got gangrene in your fingers. Oh man, I'm fine. I don't need to go to the doctor, right? No, it's obvious. It's obvious. That's how obvious obvious it is to me when I hear somebody teaching something other than positional truth as the key to the Christian life. It is the key to the Christian life. It is the secret. It's the part that you it's the key. It's where you turn. It's where you turn it all on. It's where you have access to that empowerment from God, okay? And when you try to say something else, it's like fingers on the chalkboard, you know? Anybody like that sound, right? It's as obvious to me as gangrene on a body. I know that's death. I know that that foot needs to be amp- I know that hand needs to be amputated, okay? They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, why? I, but they're doing good works. Well, to an extent, not works that God calls good, they're just in works they deny him. You know why? Because legalism causes the sin nature to rear its ugly head. No matter no bones about it, that's what happens. I gotta make myself look better than you because the standard isn't Christ, it's me. And you. And the sin nature is competitive. It doesn't use that good zeal. It's that bad zeal. I'll step on somebody so I can be the one that shines. I'll step on somebody. I'll, kick, I'll take somebody out of the knees so I can be taller. Right? And that's what the sin nature does. They profess they know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable and disobedient unto every good work unapproved. So, see that? To every good work unapproved. So they have works, but the works, they deny God. They say no to God by their works. God says this is the way to be empowered of God. This is the way the Christian life is to operate. You're in Christ. You need to, I've elevated you to the greatest standing that any human being has ever been. I see you in my son, the one that died for your sins, was buried and rose again. I've elevated, I've counted his works to you and your sin to him. Okay. And these people are out trying to earn God's favor by works. And he calls this abominable. Okay. Okay. That's one of these words I have trouble abdominal with. abdominal yes <laughs> <laughs> Okay So uh I've been told that this idea of uh, abominable has the idea of stinking bed the Greek word is bedulktoy bedulktoy and uh but it, it's uh, it stinks it's just repugnant um So, you know, a lot of people say, although I've never heard this, but I've heard people say this, that uh, those Jehovah's Witnesses, they have such a zeal for God. If Christians would just have as much zeal as Jehovah's Witnesses, we'd be changing the world for Christ. Right? Something like that. And this says, God looks at that type of thing that's legalism, and he says, it just stinks. And I know what stinks is. We At the grocery store, we have something called grease traps. Anybody familiar with grease traps? Yeah? Have you ever been around? Anybody like said, I want to be a plumber because I love the aromas that I get to deal with as a plumber. You know? Um, when you open a grease trap, and now, it's, you know, the one I had in Efreda, it wasn't fancy schmancy. It was like 50 years old, right? So it was all based on water levels and the grease staying up here and the water flowing underneath, right? And that grease and fat stays there and it rots and rots and rots. And you don't want it going down the drain, so after a while you have to get in there and you gotta get it out, right? And it's not a pleasant. (laughs) Now modern ones, they have systems that cook it down and add degreaser and it'll get it down to very little. If you open it up, guess what? It still is nasty. <laughs> okay? It's nasty. That's the kind of repugnant to me this is. God doesn't go, Oh, they're sincere. They're just trying. I'm going to give them a golf clap. Good effort. It's like when you go to the uh, recitals when your kids are young and they didn't do very good, but you're like, uh, this this was when I uh, when Broderick was in sixth grade and you go to the first time the kids are playing their instruments mm-hmm. and you're like oh that was rough <laughs> and uh, by the time you get to the spring though it's fun to see the improvement and you're like oh my goodness that they really improved over the year and it's actually really fun to see that growth but um you know so at that first time you're kind of doing the golf clap
1: <laughs> right
0: Good effort. You know, God ain't doing that. He's not looking at people that are involved in legalism and going, mm, I'm so glad you just, you said God three times this week or, you know, what's three times seven, 21 times. Because out of legalism, you pray to every meal and uh, you, uh, you went to church three times and good. No, he's not. He's not doing that. You're not doing that. There's a lot. There's going to be, and for Christians that are doing things by legalism, they're going to have a lot to be burned off. I'm going to have a lot to be burned off, and I know what's right. And I'm going to have a lot of things that are going to be burnt off that aren't worthy of reward. Okay? But there's a lot being done out of legalism. A lot. really important, not just what is done, but how it is done. God's concerned about how things get done. Not that God can't work through things that are wrong. He does. He does every day. He's so big. He still does things. Even people are doing it the wrong way. Okay. But that's in spite of a bad instrument. Do you ever take an instrument and it's the wrong instrument and you use it and in spite of it being the wrong instrument, you still get it done? Have you ever used a wrench as a hammer and you go, hey eh, didn't work as good and I might have accidentally hit myself too and hurt myself, <laughs> but hey, it's hammered, right? Um, and I think that's that's a relevant uh, illustration of things that go on today. Um, let's move into chapter two. But speak thou the things which are fitting the healthy teaching. Okay, so he's telling you when it, this is word for teaching. Here's the Old Testament, but you're going to speak things that are fitting with. Healthy teaching. So you're teaching the Old Testament in its place. What what happened and how that is to encourage us about who God is, right? But what are the things fitting the sound doctrine? It's opposed to the legalism. It's opposed to the Jewish fables. It's opposed to the the wisdom of, of unsaved prophets. Okay, that's what you're opposed to in contrast to what we saw in the previous chapter. And you start coming into ch- verses 2 through 11, and we're going to see a presentation of what's the typical Christian in different places of, of physical age? How are they living? Okay, What's in keeping with Old Testament doctrine? Well, when you have keep your Old Testament doctrine correct and you're not practicing it, there's other things to practice. See? verse 2 that the aged men that the aged men be sober this word sober is the word for alert okay, okay. that they're alert they're alert they're grave what does that mean? I'm, again, this is where Tim's like, get out of the old King James. <laughs> what is the, does uh, the numeric? Serious. serious. That's what I was going to interpret it as. Uh, serious. Okay. And uh, the reason grave, I don't mind it, is because I remember my Roman history and they would talk about gravitas. This, they'd use that term gravitas. This, Caesar had gravitas. And it was a, it was a seriousness. It was a respect. Um, so that was, you know, so it doesn't bother me. Grave doesn't bother me. But typically, if you don't have any background, you think might think, grave? I thought these were talking to live people. What are we talking about graves for? You know? <laughs> but um, then you have temperate. This word is the word for salvation, reflect, reflective thinking on salvation, salvation minded. A, a salvation, a mind framed with salvation. Okay. So it's, it's, this is a, often used as a synonym of the word for, uh, the first word sober. Okay. The first word sober, it's being alert. It's alertness that's the opposite of being uh, uh, caught up with some illicit substance, whether it's alcohol or drugs or even just worry. Worry can cause you to not be alert. But this word has the idea of being alert because you're salvation-minded. Okay, You're aware because you're salvation-minded. I don't make light of that. I don't think it's just temperate. I don't think that's what it's talking about at all. You're going to see that in this context. And when you say salvation-minded, what does that mean? That means I'm saved. I mean, salvation comes in three tenses, right? I'm saved from the penalty of sin at initial salvation. I'm being saved, right, in the present tense, right, from my three spiritual enemies. And I shall be saved in the future from an indwelling sin principle. Right? At the rapture. And so. I can frame my mind. The, the elder men are to frame their minds about salvation. they are not supposed to be going about life that, yeah, I got saved right back then, but then God left me alone. And now I just got <clears> to <throat> grip my teeth and get through this. No. I've been saved in the past and he who begun a good work is finish, is going to finish it and he's with me every day. He's in me, and I'm in him, and we have a personal relationship that is going constantly. I think that's what that's saying. But, you know, this is something that is really only for the old men, right? You know, only the old men need to be salvation-minded. No. No. Uh, Do you have a verse for that? We do. We do have a verse for that, and it's right in this context. And we'll see it as we keep going. Every one of these is going to be told, be salvation-minded. And then it's going to be repeated at the end to be salvation-minded because you're taught by grace. All right? So, sound in faith. Literally, being healthy in the faith by love or in the endurance. In the faith, in the love, in the endurance. Okay? You could almost... uh, Oh, let's just leave it at that uh, <clears throat> the aged women. Likewise. And I would say all three of those are imp- implying positional truth. You're not going to be salvation-minded without thinking on your position. You're not going to be healthy in the faith without thinking on You're not going to be able to use love unless you're empowered by the Spirit. You're not going to have the endurance unless you're empowered to do that. Similarly, the a age, the aged women, likewise, in a similar way. That they be in behavior, as becometh holiness. The word holy it's a, it's an interesting word for holiness here. Uh, what does the standard version say? Reverent. Um, reverent. Okay, uh, my interlinear says reverent, but um, the um. Greek word here is a fitting of a temple. In their demeanor, they're going to have a demeanor that's appropriate for a temple. Okay? What is, that's fitting, isn't it? Because what is the local assembly? It is a temple. Not the building, but the group of believers. It's called a temple of God. Right? Not slanderers. Well, you know what that word slanderer is? Diabolus. Old women, don't be the devil. (laughs) Now it's not, you know, it's a slanderer. That's what this is. That's one of the names of Satan. The slanderer. The slanderer. Remember when you said, Did God say? Right? Did God say? nor being enslaved with much wine. So there's a special instruction to the older women. It doesn't say don't have wine. It says don't be enslaved by it. Don't have wine control you. Don't have wine be your master. It's not a, what's that Roman six song? Sin shall not be your master, Right. Don't have wine be your master. Teachers, in 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 juxtaposition, that they ought to be teachers of what is good, in order that they may. Now, in the it's interesting. Uh, it's it's kind of funny how this translated. From the Greek the word here it says they may train but the word in the Greek is uh, they're causing others to be salvation minded okay so that's where they come up with this idea of teaching I think in the King James that they may teach the young women okay but there is no the teaching I guess comes from the previous I don't know how they get the word teach in there a second time but they do the King James puts it in there twice. But literally, in order that they may... Uh, it's sophronidzosin. It's a causative. They may cause others to be salvation... The young women... that They may cause the young women to be salvation-minded, to be fond of their husbands, to be fond of their children. Okay. Well, you don't... Women are just naturally fond of their husbands and fond of their children. Is that so? Have you ever heard of postpartum depression? Have you ever heard of, uh, you know, think about a day when you weren't, you, when you were, uh, arranged marriages, think about a day in, in slavery when people were basically you, you were put, Hey, you're my slave one and you're slave B and now you're married. Now you're going to have nice big slaves for me. They were out breeding. You think that didn't happen? Absolutely it did. Absolutely it did. And in the Christian uh, arena, do you think that affected local churches? Absolutely it did. And there were Christians, and the older women were to teach the younger women to be fond of their husbands. Yeah, in this circumstance, you can still come to like that man you were put with or that you are with by choice that you come to not like. (laughs) Coming down to verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of the home, Obedient to their very own husbands or subject, subject unto their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be, guess what word we have here? Salvation minded. Sober minded, salvation minded. So every group, every age group has been told through here that they're, this, is the, this is the one attribute that is, con, that is appropriate for every group salvation minded. I didn't look to see if it's the only thing that's repeated every single time, but I think it is. Um, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort slaves to be obedient unto their own masters. And to please them in all things, not contradicting, not talking back, not percolating. Anybody know what that is? This is the idea, uh, embezzling. But showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things for the great and then you come to verse 11. And this here has positional truth in it all through it. It's full of it. Okay? For the grace of God or literally the saving grace of God has appeared for the benefit of all men. The saving grace of God hath appeared for the benefit of all men. Now, so, what do you think the salvation mindedness has to do with? We just read it in regard to the old men, the old women, the young women, and the young men. What do you think that salvation mindedness might have to do with? Maybe the saving grace of God? What do you think? Are we pulling something out of the context, or are we actually reading the exact context to find out what this salvation-mindedness is? If it's repeated four or five times in the context, where should we find what that means? How about in the context, right? So this salvation-mindedness is a salvation that has appeared for all humanity. Does all humanity see it, though? It'd be a benefit to them if they would go, what's different about these old men and old women and young men and yet that are Christians? What's different about them? Why do they live these lives like this? It's appeared through the, the, the testimony of believers. The, how the saving grace of God has changed our lives. That's how it's appeared for all men. Nobody today is looking back and see the crosswork of Christ. There are no eyewitnesses living today. Because that's not what this is talking about. They see the saving grace of God as it's worked out through your life. As you have a salvation mind and you allow God to change you from the inside out. That's how they see it. In believers who are living the Christian life. And it's for the unsaved benefit. On one and one level, it's for their benefit. But what does it do for the Christian? It teaches us. So the saving grace of God teaches us that saying no to ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously. Guess what the word soberly is? Salvation-minded again. Okay? just used speech to hammer that home okay and godly in this present age the the word looking in verse 13 eagerly expecting for that happy hope which is the glorious appearing of the great God who is or even our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify unto himself a special people. Zealous of what kind of works? Good works. (coughs) Not works. What did he call them back there in verse 16 of Titus? One, works that deny him. By their works they deny him. No, these are good works. These are good works. They're not zealous works that are done where we beat other people down or put other people down. These are good works that build up and we're zealous to do them. Okay. Now, with that said, there's a few things through these last few verses I want to uh, emphasize. Um, We've kind of run through this passage, but this study, by necessity, it's kind of it's a survey. Um, but there's so much to comment on when it comes, you know, when I'm doing this, I've never done this, gone through and pointed out, hey, that's what you're alluding to positional truth. That is an like explicit statement. That's alluding to it. That's implying it. You have to practice positional truth to utilize this verse. Yeah, I've never done this before. Okay. I've made lists of positional truth before, but I never looked at the, the implied statements. Okay? And I'm just overwhelmed as I go through this, how often it's here. It's like all through the con, almost every chapter, every verse. okay. As you look here, there's some interesting things as we look at this passage here about the happy hope. Um, first off it says in verse 12, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present, Evil age. Well, what did we just say? The way it's appearing for the benefit of all men is through believers who are living it. Notice it says we should live. Some believers decide not to be that. They decide, no, I'm not going to live out the Christian life right now, at this moment. And at that moment, is that being visible to the unseen? No, it's not. Not at that moment. It's not. But on the flip side, let's look at this. Present. What are we to be? We're to be a contrast to this. We're, we should be a contrast to this evil age. Okay. Let's look at some. Look, turn over to Galatians 1. Now, I, I, I guess when I say evil age, I'm interpreting. It just says in this present age. But what is this present age? Let's flesh this out a little bit. Turn to Galatians 1. I would interpret this to be the evil age that he's talking about here in Titus 2, 12. If you read in Galatians 1, it says, Paul, in verse 1, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Now, if you don't, aren't aware of this, when Paul wrote this, he was traveling to Jerusalem and he gets word of the Galatian error. Okay, if you follow uh, the book of Acts, you can read the different people that join him at different points of the, of the travels. And you, oh, those two guys, they're from Ephesus. Oh, those two guys are from Galatia. And you can line up when information comes to him based on these different people that join the party. Okay? It's a little speculative, but not a big leap. Okay, that's how they got information. People came from these areas and would visit and they'd talk. Oh, now we got information from where you're from. (laughs) Okay. It's not a big leap. So he hears about the Galatian error and then he writes. Now, when he writes the Galatian letter, he writes it by his own hand, which implies that he went on his own. It might even exactly state that. It might not even even be an implication. I'm not going to go back there right now. He writes it with his own hand, which implies that his secretary, he would usually write with a secretary. He would dictate and the person would write. But he was so concerned about this, he went off on his own and he walked on his own and traveled a little bit on his own. And he wrote this by his own hand. Now I believe that he was in a struggle. Right after he writes this, he's getting told by these different people, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. By my, nobody's going to stop me from going to Jerusalem. Okay. (laughs) Read the book of Acts. He's in a struggle of whether, I think, to go to Galatia personally and deal with this error. Because he didn't do that, we have this letter. Okay. God gets glory through the unrighteousness of men. He's still, he's, you're not going to stop God just because Paul was bullheaded and decided to go to Jerusalem because he wanted, he was a Jew and you couldn't get the Jew out of a, did the Jerusalem out of the Jew, however you want to say that. God was still going to get things done. He's going to give us all these lessons through the life of Paul, right? But he writes to the Galatian church. So he says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all their brethren who are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Now, what's interesting also, when you read this, there's really no commendation or praise or thanksgiving at the beginning of this letter. Often he does give thanks. He gives thanks. And he's, this tells me Paul's kind of irritated by these believers. He'd been to these believers in their area several times. He had died going to this region. Okay? If you had died, I mean, I can't... I mean, when you died and woke up and went back to evangelizing the next city, were you kind of irritated that you had been stoned? Do you remember when that happened? No, you don't remember that. that. didn't happen to you. But Paul had an effect where he was so disgusting to look at. You know. You ever seen somebody that has a deformity on their face and you're kind of like, I wanna respect the person and look them in the eye, but I don't wanna, they might think I'm staring at them and then you're, it's kind of awkward. Have you ever been in that situation? Where you're like, you feel sorry for the person, but you wanna treat them like a a full human being and everything, because they are, (laughs) but it's awkward. Paul had a deformity in his face because he'd been stoned. <coughs> he probably couldn't see very well. But whatever it was, however bad it was, he said he was thankful to the Galatians later on in the letter because they didn't, he says, you didn't wretch, you didn't throw up from looking at me. And that's something Paul carried on in his life. Okay. He's kind of irritated when he he writes this letter. He's irritated with these believers for what they're listening to. Verse 3, grace is to you. He doesn't say, this isn't a wish. Grace is to you and peace from God. See, they are looking at trying to earn a standing before God by their works, by circumcision which is what's going to cause. It's going to cause all kinds of divisions because I'm more righteous than you because look what I did. I did this and you didn't. Where does that put the women? Can they be look as good as the men? No, they can't because they can't get circumcised. Okay, All kinds of divisions in a church through what they were trying to listen to. Grace is to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us From this present evil age. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think is going on here. He's saying this doctrine that is coming in to supplant positional truth. It's part of the evil age. You've been delivered from that. Why are you trying to go back and live under it? According to the desire of God, even our Father, to whom is glory into the ages of the ages. So, even if you're going to go do this, it's not going to stop God. He's still going to do what he's doing, and there's glory going back, going to him into the ages of the ages. But does that stop the fact that Paul's irritated by this? No, he wants believers to be living the right way, to live in Christ, being empowered by the Spirit, living out the life of the Son. Turn over to Ephesians 2. We only have a few minutes left, so we'll, we'll wrap this up here. Ephesians 2. In verse 1. And you who he, hath he quickened, literally that's not there, but literally it should be. And you being dead by trespasses and sins. This isn't talking about your personal trespasses and your personal sins. This is talking about what was counted to you in Adam. That's how we were born dead before we ever did a trespass, before we ever did a sin. This is from what we did in Adam. When times past, you walked according to the age of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all had our conduct in times past by the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the thoughts, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 4. It says in verse... But since our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this age. What age? The present evil age. Satan is the God of this age. He's showing out what it is to be like God, apart from God. That's what he wanted when he tried to ascend, move his throne from the earth to the upper sides of the north. He was going to be what? Like God. The Most High. And what's the one thing in common with all these world religions? Of their own power, they're going to earn their way to heaven. That's what it is. By works. It's never upon the work of Christ. Alone. They're doing it some other way. By self-works. Look over in Revelation 2. Revelation 2. In the letters to the overcomer. The Revelation 2. As he writes to the church in Pergamot, we're going to read in verse 12. Revelation 2.12. And to the angel or messenger of the church in Pergamus, write, These things saith he who hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's, what is? Throne. Okay. And thou holdest fast my name and has not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful witness or martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan settled down at home. Satan rules on this earth today. He has his family and God has his family. You're saying, why are you looking at this, Josh? Why are you looking at this? Go back to Titus. And now we have to follow another vein, another thread. Okay, go back to Titus. So when you look down here, so we read this because of verse 12, in this present age, we're going to live as a juxt- in juxtaposition to the present evil age. Why? Because the saving grace of God is why. Notice I didn't say science. OK? We live differently because of the saving grace of God intervened in our lives. And when we live with the right attitude towards it, we, the the unsaved, get a chance to see that saving grace of God. Okay. It teaches us that saying no to ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present evil age, while eagerly expecting... That happy hope, even the glorious appearing of our great God, even Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now Rich Schaefer, He's, he always this is, I, if he was to preach this verse, I know exactly his first comment after reading that word peculiar. He said, this isn't peculiar, funny, ha-ha. Okay? That's what I've heard him say that many, many, many times. It's not saying uh, you dress weird, so you're, you know, it's not like, a, you know, you see somebody that is ch- developmentally challenged, you go, oh, they're sp- special. Okay? No, that's not what this is saying. Oh, I could tell they are Christians. They were kind of weird and awkward. You know, so now we all start, you know, coming up with weird handshakes so people can identify God everybody knows we're God's special people. Okay? That's not what this is saying. This word special has the idea is we're you uni- were uniquely his possession. We're fenced off for his own purpose. Okay. I want to follow a, a thread of thought in relationship to this idea of a special people. Turn over to 1 Peter 2.9. You know, you know we, the Christian is not a citizen of earth. No, I get it. You, you might be a citizen of the United States. That's fine. But in your identity before God, you are not a citizen of this earth. You are a citizen of the heavens. So flip. First Peter. I want First Peter. Then we'll go to Philippians. If I can ever get there. I apologize. I'm not a fast turner. I'm a slow turner. <laughs> First Peter 2, 9. But you are an elect race. Okay, now there's kind of a when you read uh, the commentators on this, they all say, this is written to the 12 tribes of Israel. Peter was an apostle to the Jews. He was an apostle to the circumcision, so he's writing to Jews. Okay. Uh, which was true. But who was the first apostle to go to a Gentile? Peter. Right? Okay. And w- this was written far along. This was not written in the first 15 years of the church. It was many years into the church. I honestly think this is not to Jew or Gentile, it's to the church. Let's just stop playing games. It's far along. Paul is probably martyred at this point, if not very soon to be martyred if he's not already. Okay. So all the mysteries have been revealed from Paul's perspective. And I just don't buy into that argument that it's only to Jews or Gen, you know, and I don't know how you reconcile this verse if you say it's to Jews. Okay. Now in this first verse, you know, but you are a chosen race. If you're Jewish, you're like, that's right, we are. We're the chosen people. Peter had been, that had been worked out through Peter in very demonstrable ways already. He'd already been the hypocrite. He'd already been the hypocrite and gathered with the Jews when the Gentiles came. This is way past that. He's learned his lesson at this point. Okay. A royal priesthood. A holy heathen. This is the holy. So on one hand, you might say, oh, this is to Jews because it's a chosen race. And then, but, oh, what am I going to do now? It's a holy heathen. That's the Gentiles. What is it? (coughs) What is it? I'll tell you what it is. It's a whole new group is what he's talking to. It's not Jew. It's not Gentile. It's the church. It's the church. It's made up of Jew and Gentile. People that were from one elect group, but this is a new elect group, the church. People that were from the heathen, but now they're, no, they're the church. See, they're a special people. They're a priestly people. All right? They're a peculiar, peculiar, peculiar. Ah. peculiar. I have a tough time with a few words, I'm sorry. Righteousness when I'm speaking fast. Um, the other word we just read about the stinky word, I, I, would, you know, I have a hard time with that. Um, there's a couple other words, uh, arugula, arugula. How do you say that? Is it did I say it right? Arugula? Is that right? Arugula? Is it a rugula? Is it a rugula or a rugula? My wife's correcting me all the time. Let me tell you. probably at home correcting me. She knows. I'm sure she's right, whatever it is. But n- we're a unique people. Now, there's some other verses I was going to go to. I was going to take you to uh, Revelation 2 3, or not Revelation 2 3, um, Revelation 1 6. We're a. We're kingly priests. We're kingly priests. Okay, and that, you can take that back. We're not a people that has a priesthood. We are all priests. We're royal priests. We're a unique people. We're citizens of the heavens. No other group. No other group, guys. Let's turn back to Titus. So this idea of a past, present, future salvation, it's not just looking at initial salvation. It's looking at, hey, God has marked us off for something special. He's given us a new identity. And we should so be looking forward to the fact that Christ could come back at any moment to bring our future to the present. That right now, we're allowing that life to be lived out now. We're so salvation-minded that it's exhibited in the way we live our lives. And this is all a result of seeing yourself in Christ, being inspired in the grace of God in Christ. And so looking forward to the rapture becoming a reality That we live differently today. Not out of threat. Not out of fear. But because we can. Because God has made it possible. He's made us his people. He's made us a unique people. We are an elect. We're a chosen people. We are a people that can serve as priests. We are a set apart people. We are definitely A heavenly people. And so we can live a special kind of life. Okay, so hopefully we've emphasized the fact that positional truth is all through this context. Any questions? Or any comments? If not, we'll close with a word of prayer. Dear only Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your work in our lives. We ask, Father, that we would spend every day contemplating those simple words, you and me and us and you. And so, Father, we thank you for these things. Amen.